Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Fastball pulled it. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Welcome back in. This is Fantasy Baseball Today. I am one of your hosts, Chris Welsh. You can find me on Twitter at Is It the Welsh if you want to ask, hey, where's Adam? Is he coming back? Not for this episode. That over there, that is the illustrious, the wonderful, the slow paced, but very impactful statement, Z. Scott White. I lost the word there. It would be the, what would I say? The, the impactful speaking? I don't know. Speaking? I'm too, my brain doesn't work that fast, as you just okay. pointed out. What's up, buddy? How are you doing? How are you I'm doing, Frendo? I'm good. Yeah? Friendo. What's going on in your world, Frendo? Yeah, I'm going to keep bringing that up. Uh, you got the article, as we are in part two, by the way, of the CBS Mock breakdown series adam was a part of series one so if you miss that go back and listen you can get the first four rounds while we also talk about the astros debacle and a bunch of other fun things very fun episode but uh it is just scott and i to break down the rest of this mock draft rounds five and above we're going to be doing uh, a decent round per round breakdown we'll do some of the late picks and we'll even look at some uh, team previews but scott you put together an article over on cbs that people can read that kind of goes in conjunction with this give us give me some little snippets i mean you know, yeah. any round thoughts maybe of the first five we talked about? Maybe some guys that didn't get drafted that stood out to you? Yeah, so uh, some of the, the the biggest one who didn't get drafted, and, and this was only 23 rounds, 12 teams. We weren't drafting benches or anything, so that's, what, 276 players getting drafted. Um, it stands to reason that there are going to be some players who, uh, it's surprising, because when we actually start drafting and have benches, they will get drafted. Gio Urshela was the most obvious one to me. Miguel Andujar did get drafted, actually. Sorry, my mic fell. I don't know if you heard that. But <laughs> Miguel Andujar... It was actually, actually very appropriate to him as he got injured, and then your mic just went, just like crumbled down yeah, like Andujar. Yeah, which it did last show, too. I might have to do something about that. But yeah, Andujar went in round 19. And uh, Gio Urshela didn't get drafted at all. Now, I actually rank Urshela ahead of Andujar, but obviously we're not sure how playing time is going to get sorted out there. We're going to see this offseason, what the Yankees decide to do with with third base and first base and DH and 
everything. They have a lot of questions there. You know, isn't um, it such a um, isn't it such kind of like a microcosm of how these drafts work? Like what you just said reminds me so much of this early drafting. There's so many people that are taking you know part in NFBC drafts. Dynasty people are trying to get ready. People are trying to get prepped. But that exact example that you talked about, where you have uh, Gio Urshela above uh, Anuar. And yet you he didn't even get drafted like you didn't even draft Geo. It's kind of a perfect example of people testing some stuff, people trying to find the values messing around. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's even about seeing how do other people value? I know that's an important factor for you as well. How I like to approach these industry drafts to say, well, I know how I think about things, but where's everybody else at? And we learned a lot of that stuff in this. Yeah, I do a little bit of testing. For the most part, I just try and draft the best team I possibly can. I I mean, and. I probably would have drafted Urshela myself if I hadn't filled corner infield and, and DH so early. I just, again, because we were limited to the, the, the starting lineup spots, uh, you know, that, that obviously impacted your choices in the late rounds. Uh, other players who weren't drafted who I thought maybe should have been, Paul DeYoung, he was pretty wow. horrible outside of April, but was still a 30-homer shortstop. You yeah, know? sure. Uh, Mitch Keller... Uh, had some high points and high upside pitcher. Michael Kopech's going to be back from Tommy John surgery and has a ton of upside. You think you, Sam, oh, you think you'd be on drafting him? I'm kind of out on very much out on post first year post Tommy John type of guys. Like I love Kopech. I've actually personally like been around him and followed him since he was actually a Red Sox and uh, especially out here with the White Sox. And he is an incredible physical talent and talent, but Drafting a guy in a redraft league coming off of Tommy John, even though he was throwing about two or three months ago, I think he had his first bullpen session. You want to? In- would you invest at all? Because I wouldn't. I mean, are you not investing in Otani? Were you not investing in Chris Paddock? Well, oh, I mean, Chris Paddock pitched a little after coming back last year, but obviously you knew there were going to be innings limitations. I assume innings limitations are the main thing. This is more Alex about. Reyes to me, though. This is much more Alex yeah. Reyes, not those guys. Like, like you said, Paddock got in. He had a, a much bigger time period and got innings in before he hit the majors. And Otani is just well, a different story because he also hits in the late rounds. At starting pitcher, I mean, late rounds they go after upside anyway. But yeah, particularly good starting point. pitcher, there's not much upside to be found there. So yeah, okay. I, I'm I have him 226th overall in this format. So I, obviously, I think he should have gone. I just invested heavily in my pitching staff, so you know I didn't have spots available in the range he went. I also have Sam Hilliard as somebody who probably should have been drafted in a five outfielder league. There's a playing time issue that needs to be sorted out there as well. I presume the Outfield will primarily be will be Dahl in left, Garrett Hampson in center, Chat, Charlie Blackman in right, maybe Daniel Murphy and Ian Desmond platoon at first, and that leaves Hilliard out. But there's going to be some mixing and matching that will give Hilliard probably an avenue for 300 at-bats with the ability for more, a chance for more, depending on performance. So, you know, power speed, course field. It's going to be an interesting player. Well, we've got a lot to get to to get through this whole draft here. And we left off the first four rounds were on the previous podcast, as I mentioned, in part one. So part two, we kick it off with the fifth round. And there's going to be a lot of this stuff to discuss. So let's just jump right into this. Starting in round five, Scott, you had the very first pick. You took Patrick Corbin. We went Luis Castillo, Shohei Otani in the fifth round by The Itch. Charlie Morton, Chris Bryant, Adam Azer took James Paxton. Towers took Clayton Kershaw. I really wanted Kershaw. That one hurt a little bit. Uh, Victor Robles. I took Jonathan Villar. Austin Meadows. DJ LeMahieu. 
and JT Realmuto. So in the fifth round, this was the big pitcher round in this draft as we had five starting pitchers taken. That was Corbin, Castillo, Morton, Paxson, and Kershaw. And if you want to get cute, Otani technically could be six. Uh, Stolen bases were uh, plentiful, I guess you could say, Robles and VR. And interestingly enough, I thought DJ LeMahieu in, like if you want to go look at the two early mocks, was not given any uh, credit whatsoever in how late he was taken. In this draft, he went above guys like Carlos Correa, and we also saw our first catcher. So those are just some round five notes. But where do you want to start? You want to start with your pick, Patrick Corbin, as this was, I believe, was your second starting pitcher in the top five rounds. Uh, actually, I want to start with the comment you just made about LeMahieu because it was surprising to me how different our first mock draft was from the two early mocks, the T-O-O early mocks that were done um, about a month ago. Who was it who arranged those? The Justin Mason. Justin Mason yeah. set those up, and they were done like October, like late October, yeah. I think it was, early, mid. Yeah. Um, Do you think it's a I product think goes of to you? show you that mock drafts are, are being influenced largely by the provider that they're being done with. Yep. And, uh, you know, the, the people doing them. So, yeah, there's not a lot of industry consensus yet, particularly for guys coming off outlier seasons like LeMahieu. So just keep that in mind. Um, but I, I agree more with where he went here, 59th overall. I have LeMahieu uh, 56th overall. So, yeah, Corbin was somebody I did not expect to be available at this point, nor did I expect the guy who went right after him, Luis Castillo, to be be available in round five. Uh, We talked about this on the last episode. I expect round three and four to be dominated by pitching because there is, uh, I I think, a much bigger drop-off in the quality at that position than cumulatively among the hitters going in the same range. And that was something I was going to bring up, which I I wonder— I wonder where we go with this at the end of the day because you know you really feel like more starting pitchers need to go. So your surprise comes from where you think they should be going higher. Yet I don't even believe into round. F- I think round five we finally have cracked ten starting pitchers going. But as we as you talk about DJ Lemayhew being a product of the provider, you know you definitely preach the starting pitchers. Yet in this draft that we do here. Starting pitching still didn't go. So I wonder what'll be the point. Like, do you, like when will you start to maybe relent that there's just good value in starting pitching? Because I think it to me, this felt like people are gun shy. It's a version of there's so much good hitting out there and people are gun shy from starting pitching disappointing in 2019 that I don't think you're wrong. I think you're right. But I think those two factors are pushing starting pitchers down. And I don't know how much that's going to change. Well, if they're disappointed, that's all the more reason they have to invest in the real difference makers at the position. Uh, I, when will I relent? I mean, not after the first draft I've done. <laughs> well, that, sure. I, of course you're not. Like, this isn't <laughs> going to be the one. I'm just curious. I'm I'm kind of setting an early stage maybe for you yeah. to keep in mind when this is January or February. And maybe, what was it I said? I think we had oh, we seven. Don't get real, we don't get really good draft data till. March and, and probably not mid March. They'll have to have I'll have to have clearer takes before then. So we'll monitor. Um, Seven starting pitchers went in the first three rounds in the first thirty six. Yeah. What do you think that moves to, say February? In the first three rounds, um, ten, twelve, a third. Okay, so twelve. You would said be how third? many went in the first? Seven. How, first seven three rounds, first only seven three. pitchers went. 
fourth round. We I have, have ten. I have ten going in the first three rounds. Okay, and so. I mi- I misspoke by the way because in round four we had five pitchers taken: Strasburg, Snell, Bieber, yeah. Nola, and Clevenger, and then another five went in round five. So round four yeah. started the push. Right. So I think maybe it starts round earlier. But look, I got. Giolito, who I consider among the difference makers at the position, I got him with the last pick of round six, so 72nd overall. Yeah. I, I mean, that's I want last now went three picks after that, 75th overall. Carrasco, uh, Severino went 77th overall. Kluber, 81st overall. Like, it, it's just weird to me how spread out it was, is the thing. I feel like they should be more condensed uh, because there it there isn't, great differentiation in expected outcomes for them and expected impact is, um, you know, I, I think the people who waited on starting pitcher just happened to get lucky. And by the way, I didn't, I wouldn't want my pitching staff to look any worse than it does. I got, uh, what did I get? I got sale in round two. I got Corbin in round five. I got Giolito in round six and my fourth best pitcher was my fourth best pitcher was uh, Jesus Lazardo. So uh, my fifth best was Matthew Boyd, who's in my top 45. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want it to look any worse than that because if you're rely, if you're having, if you don't have three real guys you can rely on there at the top and some upside beyond that, I mean, you don't want to have to fill out your rotation with, uh, with Merrill Kelly types, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, we'll have to see because I did relatively wait. I took Max Scherzer in the second round, but I didn't take my next pitcher until round seven. So we can kind of review. I'm one of those guys that waited on pitching. Uh, just getting through round six here. Zach Granke started the round off, followed by Noah Syndergaard, Joey Gallo, Carlos Correa in the six, Eugenio Suarez, Michael Brantley, Josh Bell went to Azer, uh, Trevor Bauer, Tommy Pham, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with the 10th pick in the sixth round. Eloy, Eloy Jimenez, and Lucas Giolito, as you mentioned, was the final pick here. So in round six, the three things that stood out to me, here are three. Granky over Syndergaard with a question mark, Gallo over Bell with a question mark, and Vladimir Guerrero all the way down at the bottom of the sixth round. Let's start with Vlad there, Scott. <sighs> Tell the people how much further down you have Vlad than where he went. I have an 88. And you're... you're uh bemoaning how he's going 70th like that's some great offense and it's just like I don't think it's an offense I think um I think the the mount people are jumping off the bandwagon of what is perceived as a generational hitter off of one season his rookie season to then completely jump off the bandwagon it's interesting how is it jumping me. off the bandwagon going in round 6 or even where I have him round what is 88 9 8 I don't think that's an imp- inappropriate range. I'm shocked at the restraint that people are showing at this point. I do mm-hmm. not think people will show this restraint, restraint once the drafts come back around. He's still seen as a 300 hitter. You want to go look at Steamer. Ste- he hit 272 in 2019. Steamer still gives him the boost up to a 294 batting average as he was in 2019 uh, early steamer projections projected as the number one, the top batting average of all baseball players, and he hadn't played a single game. And steamers got him 22 points higher still. I just don't think people will have the restraint to it. There's a part of me that kind of agrees. I think round five and six is relatively appropriate, 
but I don't think it's going to follow. So I just thought it was interesting that he fell this far. It, to me, it's not when you look at the calibers of, of players going around him. A ton of hitters put up ridiculous numbers in 2018. Sure. And we got to get deeper into the draft than this until you start thinking, okay, this hitter I'm drafting here doesn't quite measure up. And I think that's when you start going after upside. I, like, My problem is – here's my pro- main problem. The the assertion of taking what he did in 2019 and then saying you can't even take the risk anymore is not believing or maybe not accounting for uh, him improving as a player or him being a better player. Like he did, he didn't have a good rookie season. You can't go and say in 123 games you hit 15 homers with 69 RBIs and a 272 batting average. That's not there. But that's not the perceived value of this guy. He's seen as a 30 plus. 300 hitter who if given a full season with some decent players around him is a hundred hundred guy so the idea of only looking at the numbers and then accounting to say well you can't possibly put future projection on him and you can't take the risk I think he can because there's also as you keep mentioning there's a ton of really good bats out there that I think you can take the risk in round seven Nelson Cruz goes in there you could pick up Nelson Cruz in there yes exactly so what numbers were you saying uh, Vladimir Guerrero has the potential for. I mean, well, I mean, if you just want, Nelson I mean, that's... Cruz went around later than this way too late range where Vladimir Guerrero went, and he's coming off a season where he hit 311 with 41 home runs. Are you expecting better than 311 batting average and 41 home runs for Vladimir Guerrero next year? There's other reasons why Nelson Cruz falls that far. It's not obviously entirely on merit, but yeah. I mean, Eugenio Suarez went in the same round as this way too low spot for Vladimir Guerrero, and he nearly hit 50 home runs. Joey Gallo went in that same round. He would have hit 50 home runs if he'd stayed healthy. I mean, these Carlos Correa, a consensus first rounder for several years, went in round six. To me. These are much more proven early round number type hitters. Maybe Vladimir Guerrero is going to be that, but. Why are you giving up the sure thing for the possible thing? Like that's that. Let me point this out. Let me point this out as you're you're saying this. I'm defending. I, by the way, I'm with you. I, I did not take, I had the chance to take him. I did not take him. So don't take this as me trying to push that hard. What I do think there has to be, I don't want to get too crazy into it, but it's kind of the like touchy Fernando Tatis projections of 2019 where, you know, we look at the sample sizes and we don't think about progression. That's all that I'm getting at. Does Vlad deserve to go ahead of Nelson Cruz or any of those guys that you mentioned? No, but if you want to take the, if you want to play the upside game and you believe in the hitter that Vladimir Guerrero is, I don't think it's egregious that he goes in the fifth round. And I think that's where people will end up sitting. Statistically, comparative to what he did and the players that produced in 2019 to where they're going, I think your I think your rank accurately represents the production that Vladimir Guerrero had last year. It just doesn't represent any upside, and it kind of takes you out on him. And that's okay. No, no, I I think you're wrong. Okay, he was much worse than the 88th best player. Last I 100 percent agree. 100 percent, and I'm I'm not disagreeing with that whatsoever. Okay, like I I rank him ahead of Josh Donaldson. Who okay. I mean, look at the numbers he put up last year. Great okay. numbers. You'd be thrilled if Vladimir Guerrero put up those numbers uh, in his rookie season. So, yeah. What do you think I, of Steamer's projections? I, I, what do you think of his projections? 294, 25 homers, 82 runs, 83 RBIs, and 150 50 games. It sounds plausible. It seems kind of aggressive. Okay. 
it also wouldn't be completely shocking if he exceeded them. It's just why the the risk-reward thing doesn't work out for me. Because the risk is... I get you. Okay, maybe he's... Maybe he's a little better than we already know Carlos Correa can be, you know. And it's like they they both went in the same range here, so I don't know. I got you. It's, I think it's a really good conversation we're having. It's important to have around Vladimir Guerrero because he is dicey. He's um he's polarizing. He's going to be a polarizing player this year because of potential, last year's value, and how to value him this year. And you made a bunch of good points. Suarez and Correa went above him as they probably should. Any other notes around uh, round six that you want to hit? So where do I have Aloy? Because it's interesting you you raise this fuss over Vladimir Guerrero and Aloy Jimenez, who had a better rookie season and similarly regarded prospect. Agreed. You know, Vladimir Guerrero maybe there are a few prospects who compare to him in history, but Aloy Jimenez would have been the top prospect in baseball in many non-Vladimir Guerrero like years. He had a better rookie season. He's going one spot after him here in round. Uh, six, and uh, I mean, does that feel too early to you? Because it's it's higher than I have him ranked too. Uh, I think it's I have in the him one twenty second. No, I think he's uh, going seventy first. I mean, I'm I'm with top one hundred production on Eloy Jimenez again. These, I mean, these are yeah. two players that I've seen uh, a decent amount, so I, I kind of have a little bit more trust. Steamer projections does feel a little bit aggressive. Thirty four homers. 82 runs, 92 RBIs with a 279 batting average, but he's always been a high average uh, batting guy in the minors. That's kind of always who he's been. I mean, let's see. The last time in the minors, the last time he hit under 300 besides this year was in uh, advanced A-ball in 2017 with the Cubs. So in the White Sox organization, he's always been a very high-end 300 hitter, uh, relatively close to sub-20K guy. Doesn't walk a whole bunch, but makes massive, massive power. So uh, like Vlad, it's very similar to Vladimir Guerrero. I was actually a little bit surprised they went so close. I thought he might fall a little bit, but I think right around 100 is the appropriate time to maybe take some chances do i think there's some better options out there Bo Bichette with better position eligibility yeah sure um you know uh, nelson cruz like you talked about you want to shore up your um you know your overall stats your hitting stats sure but i don't think it was egregious do you feel it's egregious uh i i got lucas giolito right after them yeah i want and i feel yeah. like that was one of the steals of the draft I agree. so that's helping influence my opinion i mean even even looking at some of the pitchers that went in the next round, I, I look at the players who went, went in round seven and with maybe one or two, all but maybe one or two exceptions, I, I would take them over both Guerrero and Jimenez. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with you on that one. Hey, friends, butcherbox.com slash FBT. When it comes to meat, quality matters. Not everyone has convenient access to high-quality meat. Not everyone can easily find 100% grass-fed finished beef or free-range organic chicken at the grocery store. Then, when you do find it, you might have one or two choices, and then you might even be priced out. Luckily, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves high-quality, humanely sourced meat, and they'll bring it right to your door without you stepping a foot into the wild. For right around $6 per meal every month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high-quality meat right to your home. When we got our ButcherBox, the first thing we did was dug into the free-range organic chicken. To be honest, it's overwhelming, but like in a good way. Like Christmas morning digging into your presents when you get that box full, full of meat. Nutrition is crazy important in my home as well, and the, quote, extras you can find in store-bought meat, that doesn't fly for us. But with ButcherBox, 
All meat is free of antibiotics and added hormones, packed fresh and shipped frozen and vacuum sealed so it stays that way. You can customize your box or you can go with one of theirs. Either way, I know I'm getting exactly what I want. Options like 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar nitrate-free bacon. ButcherBox is the most affordable and convenient way to get healthy, humane-raised meat. Right now, ButcherBox is offering new members ground beef for life. That's two pounds of ground beef in every box for the life of their subscription, plus 20 bucks off their first box. Just go to butcherbox.com slash FBT or enter promo code FBT at checkout. Butcherbox.com slash FBT or just enter promo code FBT at checkout. All right, round seven, going through some of the names here, Scott. We have Keston Hira, Carlos Carrasco, Tyler Glass now. Uh, Kirby, Kirby Yates, our first closer, finally went in round seven. We've got Luis Severino, Bo Bichette. Nelson Cruz, Matt Olson. I took Corey Kluber. That was my second pitcher in round seven. Max Muncy, Jose Barrios, and Nicholas Castellanos. Um, the big thing that jumped out to me, besides the first catcher closed, uh, the first closer taken, was the injured rebound starting pitchers that went in this round. Scott Carrasco, Glasnow, Severino, and Kluber. This was the round where we all were just chomping at the bit, and they're like, "Yep, give me the rebound." And give me the discount. I know I did. Yeah, and I think relative to the other starting pitchers, it's appropriate. Uh, this is uh, appropriate they go behind like the Noah Syndergaard and Zach Greinke types we saw go in the previous round. Uh, so that makes sense. Again, it. I would prefer you move all these pitchers up another round or so, but uh, I, I think it's I think it's perfectly reasonable to draft them them here uh i i kicked off this round with keston hira i love that pick. and this turn giolito and at the end of round six and keston hira at the start of round seven this made my draft i feel like this was my favorite turn of the whole draft uh keston hira strikes out too much but the quality of contact he makes uh, it, it supports him hitting for an average hitting for average regardless he showed power he showed the ability to steal bases second bases the weakest position other than catcher probably and uh you know i some of the too early mocks he was going as early as like round four right yeah so, and i think there could be argument when you want to you know i'm sitting here making the argument of the upside on a guy like vladimir guerrero keston hira is a better fit for most most teams i mean you're getting stolen bases you're getting middle infield i think batting average is not that far off and he's a run producer i i like that pick what was your favorite non-you pick of this round and your least favorite my favorite Favorite non-me pick was probably Nelson Cruz in round seven. Okay, by Towers. Yeah, middle of round seven, 79th overall. I have him 66th, so that's good value. Uh, you know, he's approaching 40 here. I think he's going to be 39 for the majority of next year. And that's a scary age, but there has not been any signs of slowdown for him. And uh, Do you see that obviously video? Obviously, it's a— you see that video of I him? I did not at, see a video. Okay, no. you've never seen a video in your life? Never, never won. No. Okay, so it's a it's a picture that moves, and it moves at a fast <laughs> rate, sometimes 29.97 frames per second. No, it's a video of Nelson Cruz at Top Golf. Do you, you know what Top Golf is? No. Do you really not? Are you being sarcastic? No. I should say, okay. Gonna, you're going to have to keep explaining. All right, I'm sorry. All right, so uh, golf is a game with a stick and this little tiny white ball. It's not as big. No, it's, um, it's like, a, think of batting cages, but for golf, but it's a game where you can, like, hit the ball and it hits a sensor and you get points and stuff. It's really fun. Okay. And right. um, he's on the top level, and they have a netting 
at the very back end. And people can hit the ball and hit the net. You know, that's like a big deal if you can crush the ball there. Well, Nelson Cruz hit the ball out of top golf. I've never seen it in my life. He hit it above the net, which is probably <laughs> hundreds of feet tall. It, go look it up if you get a chance. Go look it up. Nelson Cruz top golf. Mm-hmm. I've never seen someone crush a ball like him, whether it's a golf ball or a baseball. And that purely makes him a value pick. What did you hate most about this round that's not your pick, Keston, here, or obviously my amazing pick of Corey Kluber? Who did you hate? What did you hate? The pick that stands out as being worse than the others is Nicholas Castellanos, and it was the last pick of the round, so uh, I guess that that stands to reason. But he was 84th, and I have him 129th, so that's that's a reach, I think, regardless. Obviously looked a lot better with the Cubs than the Tigers, but we don't know where he's going. He's a guy whose production depends a lot on supporting cast because he doesn't have elite power and doesn't have great on-base skills, so seems like a reach. Round eight started off, um, Phil, who took Castellanos, then took Jorge Soler. Bunch Much of cheap power pick. there. Yeah, I like that yeah, pick. I'd, I'd like it if you flipped him, Phil, just for con- <laughs> just for purposes of conversation. I think that looks better. Uh, you mentioned Josh Donaldson. George Kurtz took him with the second pick in the eighth round. I got sniped so hard it hurt my soul because I was planning with the fourth pick in this round to scoop up Chris Paddock, and he went one pick in front of me. So it took me more than the four seconds it took Daniel to take Chris Paddock. I took you, Darvish. Then it went Josh yeah. Hader, Jeff McNeil, Woodruff, Gary Sanchez, Reese Hoskins, Jose Abreu, Marcelo Zuna, and a very sneaky Marcus Simeon pick. So did you like my Darvish pick? I really wanted Paddock, but lots of strikeouts on Darvish. Yeah, I, I, w- I would have taken Darvish over Paddock, so... So uh, I want to point I think out, you made out there. when you talk about you know taking the pitching early, I only took one pitcher in my first six rounds. But now after round eight, I've got Max Scherzer, Corey Kluber, and you Darvish. So what do you think about that rotation? What do you think about that? I think it's a fine top three. Okay. I, th- I think it's good enough. That's it? Uh, good it, enough? It, well, it's yeah. quite sexy. It is quite sexy on stolen bases. <laughs> what is wrong with you, sir? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Just, no, I mean, Scherzer... It, I. I wouldn't want less than that. I, I think you waited as long as you could to gotcha. still get three potentially high-end pitchers. And there are some question marks with each, but I, you know, I, I'm not, not even meaning to harp on that. I think, I think, I, I think you did fine. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and there's injury concerns that you could have with that. Yeah. I actually think there's a bunch of decent value picks in here, a bunch of interesting ones. Second catcher went Gary Sanchez in the eighth round. Absolutely loved your Marcus Simeon pick. Yeah. That one pissed me off because I was like, how did I forget about Marcus Simeon? And I think that's a big early season thing that will be yeah. rectified by February. Yeah, so I got him 96th, and I have him... Oh, man, I hate when I can't find it. And I stall the podcast like this, looking up a name. I'll, I'll get back to it. But yeah... uh I, if Darvish had made it to me, I would have taken him. If Gary Sanchez had made it to me, because that was maybe the best pick in a two-catcher league, him going in the middle of round eight. Uh, coming off a worse season, he was going like fourth or fifth round last year, right? Which says something about how catcher has evolved. There are more usable bats there, and just how much better every position, other position has gotten that the catcher could be pushed down this far. I think you can also say maybe the catcher position has devolved, but I think we're saying the same thing. Well, it's a little of both. There are so many great hitters everywhere else that they have to go in front of the catchers, and yet at the same time, there's less incentive to reach for the very best catchers. Because there's not enough separation. I don't think there's just enough separation at the position. The one that stood out to me 
in this round, I'd love to know your favorite and least favorite. Um, the uh, Towers is Jeff McNeil pick in the eighth round. Uh, I just wasn't with that one. I mean, I know what Jeff McNeil does. I just I didn't I wasn't feeling that pick. What say you? Um, I may be higher on McNeil than the average person. I I believe in the second half power surge, and if you combine that with the potential to hit three hundred, you're talking about a valuable player. You're talking about another DJ LeMahieu type. Potentially, I mean, it's not going to bat lead off for the Yankees, so he's going to, you know, the upside qu- isn't quite the same. But in terms of what he can do for himself, I think it, the, the potential there is similar. Uh, by the way, I have Simeon 67th. I took him 96th. Mm. I have, uh, I have Gary Sanchez 58th, and he went 92nd here. Some good value. So, what was your favorite pick in this round that wasn't? I, I think Simeon was at least top three of the best picks in this round. So, if you're not picking mm-hmm. Simeon, what was the best pick in this round? And if McNeil's not the worst, uh, I'm not trying to kill it, but like, what is the pick you least like in this round? Hoskins. Uh, I was just Hoskins. about. Yeah, I was about to say you don't like Hoskins. I don't like Hoskins, particularly for this format in a points league or an OBP league. Okay, he's he's kind of developed some Carlos Santana characteristics. Historically speaking, Carlos Santana is kind of coming off a career year, so that might be confusing for people. But Carlos Santana has historically been that guy whose value uh, sees the greatest differentiation between batting average leagues and on-base percentage or walk leagues. And I think Reese Hoskins is an even more extreme version of that because the guy's got no batting average potential. I think uh, the last two years have shown that. But good power gets on base a lot. So What about favorites? Know, it's just format for him. Is that Solaire? Or Gary, no, Gary Sanchez would be your favorite. You already kind of said that because you had him so high, right? They're all, I mean, Soler went 85th. I have him 65th. I talked about the differentiation in Sanchez and Simeon. Sanchez is yeah. probably the biggest one for me. Uh, Darvish, I thought was a great pick. You've got him 88th. I have him 63rd. So, I was very yeah, excited like about all that. Those picks. Round yep. nine, uh, you started it off. Speaking of Carlos Santana, you got him with the first pick in the ninth round. Then we went Mike Moustakis, Wilson Contreras. So that would be our third catcher in here. Andrew Benintendi with the big fall into the ninth round. Aroldis Chapman, David Dahl, Yasmani Grandal, Michael Conforto. I took Matt Chapman, Max Kepler, Zach Wheeler, and Yasiel Puig. And... I mean, I'm a little bit biased, but uh, I thought Matt Chapman was a value. I thought Kepler was a value, and I liked Puig as well. A little bit of a question on David Dahl because I'm not in as much on David Dahl. I don't like to play that game as much as anybody else. And there's a huge drop on Andrew Benintendi. So, um, I, I, you know what? I was going to say your favorite, least favorite. But what do you think about Benintendi here? I mean, it was one of the quickest picks in the round. Four seconds for Ariel Cohen to take him. I wanted Benintendi to fall a little bit because I had kind of sat back on outfielders. I have, I'm okay playing the bounce back, and this is the biggest value I've seen him drop in any of these early mocks. Yeah, I, I have him dropping a little more than this, though it's it's far from the biggest reach among the ones we've talked about. And what, part of what makes it far from the biggest reach is that I think we see the talent really drop off here in terms of what you expect these players to provide. So you can... You know, you can gamble a little more on a bounce back season from Ben Intendi, especially since he's a guy who historically has stolen some basins and those are always in high demand in this format during this era. So uh would it be what I'd do, but I think it's a justifiable pick. I think uh I think Max Kepler at one hundred sixth overall stands out as probably the best one. I was debating yep. him and Carlos Carlos Santana at ninety seventh. Ultimately went with Santana because I thought for first base was depleting faster. But I think uh, 
I like both of those picks. Uh, you know, we just had a, a pitching heavy round the previous round with Paddock and Darvish and Brandon Woodruff. Uh, I think those were the biggest ones. And the only pitcher drafted in this round is Zach Wheeler, who... Starting pitcher. Aroldis Chapman went in here, too, so relief pitcher. Okay, yeah, but to your point, only one SP. Zach Wheeler. And looking ahead to the next round, it's Sonny Gray and Mike Soroka. Like, these are still quality pitchers, but they're clearly a tier below that next group. Like, this is not a group, although I guess, you know, Hyunjin Ryu just is a Cy Young finalist. But reasonable expectations don't have these guys contending for a Cy Young award next year. They're They're not pitchers that you halfway expect to bury you but you can see now that yeah. that 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 position is starting to show some hurt in uh in round 10 just uh cleaning it up here hampson was the first pick followed by elvis andrus sunny sunny gray was the third i took eddie rosario with the fourth pick in the 10th round mike soroka yoan Moncada, hinchin ryu malik smith ramon lariano tim anderson Luis robert the first rookie up in there and miguel sano this was a very heavy pay on the speed round. I mean, Andrus, Hampson, Anderson, Malik Smith, love the Ramon Lariano pick. And I love to take some chances, though I took some early is why I didn't give consideration uh, to taking Luis Robert where I took Eddie Rosario. But there's a lot of uh, stolen base by, and then you have that Luis Robert potential pigeonholed in there. So what do you think about all the stolen bases, and what do you think about Luis Robert as the 10th pick in a 12-man? These are all... they're Robert... And Garrett Hampson to lead off the 10th round were among the most interesting picks of the draft, I thought. And by that, I mean, I can see it. I'm not totally on board yet. They were all a little higher than I'd go, but I can see it. I think it's justifiable. I There's clearly upside there and there's speed upside. And it's in a range where I think you can afford to take those kind of chances, like I was saying the last round. So um, yeah, Hampson and Robert, in round 10 Robert by the way I expect him to be up mid late April like there it was clearly a service time manipulation thing the reason they were holding him back so I I I think it'll just be starting the clock at the start of the year and then when that magical date comes he'll be up uh jumping ahead a little bit since we're on this subject Tommy Edmond in round 11 another guy who can help in steals and really came on late last year. I don't think the upside is quite the same as for a Garrett Hampson, but the playing time is is more assured too for Tommy Edmonds. So I think that makes sense. Um, and Mercado in the eleventh round. I mean, ten and eleven was a very much like I need to get those speed that speed if I haven't really put a focus on it early on in the draft. Mm-hmm. That's where people mm-hmm. were making do, which is not very uncommon. Yeah, and and it might be seeing now how early those guys go, even in a draft where you know, people maybe aren't as well-researched yet and know to reach for those guys. The fact people were doing it anyway, I think is is pretty revealing and, and maybe an indication that I might need to move them up because uh, as somebody who doesn't place a high priority on steals, uh, you know, I didn't really end up with great a great uh, expected stolen base total here. I got Trout first overall, who should give me 20 or so. Hopefully, Keston here in round seven should give me twenty plus. But beyond that, uh, you know, I don't have I don't have uh, 
a lot of hope for stolen bases. So well, something we'll take a look um, at actually here in just a second. Um, yeah, we will take a look and do a breakdown of the teams, plus break down a few more of the picks. But first, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at Seeky. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. The real question is, how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared? With millions of live event tickets and price match guarantees, SeatGeek proves there's a better way. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and you can start enjoying it. With over 50,000 five-star reviews, SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web, then rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. And every purchase is fully guaranteed. I've got the SeatGeek app anytime, whether it's a comedy show, which I absolutely love doing, or getting out to a game. I'm starting with the SeatGeek app. You should do the same because SeatGeek wants to give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today. Use promo code FANTASY. You're going to get $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code FANTASY for $10 off your first purchase. Now, finishing up before we look at our teams, there were some very interesting picks that were made um, round 11 and on. And I would highly encourage anybody, go and check out the article that uh, Scott put together over on CBS. Have you tweeted that sucker out yet? Yeah, right after we did it, which at this point was a couple weeks ago. But hey, I could, pop, yeah, pop uh, another. I could throw out, out another retweet. Yeah, yeah, pop another tweet out there of that one. Um, I'm going to throw out a couple names. Um, we'll just do a, a few players here that were interesting that were taken a little bit later in rounds 11 and 12. The guys that stood out to me is you had Frankie Montas, who went above players like Robbie Ray and Zach Allen. I took Robbie Ray above. Um, uh, Kenley Jansen, who went in the 12th round. You also saw Joe Adele go in the 12th round. So where you see Luis Robert get the I'm super comfortable rookie treatment, I think Joe Adele, from a talent perspective, I like him more than Luis Robert, but he's not getting quite the same love that he would come up early. So Frankie Montas, uh, Robbie Ray, Edwin Diaz was the fourth closer taken above Kenley Jansen, and actually four closers were taken in round 12. Anybody, uh, one or two players jump out to you? I feel like you're going to tell me about Frankie Montas. Yeah, Frankie Montas, uh, I mean, I like him better than Zach Wheeler, who went in the previous round. And I think, well, there are obviously some questions. He basically got a third of a season to to convince us he had broken out. Yeah, I, I like a lot of the contributing factors, the the development of a splitter that uh, just really seemed to make his arsenal lock in in terms of missing bats and getting ground balls and just looks like he has the potential to be a frontline pitcher. So it was a good time to take him here. I thought about taking him myself, but that was one where I kind of wanted to see how Lady would go because I'm not, you know, I kind of intentionally ranked him a little lower than I feel like he deserves to be because I feel like there's going to be a lot of skepticism surrounding him. You know, we'll see. We'll see. But it was a tough call for me between him and Jesus Luzardo. And, uh, or wait, did I do that right? No, he went before Jesus Luzardo. Yeah. Yeah, we're in round 12. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Joe Adele, I really didn't like that pick. As much as I like the, for the shame. Robert pick, I mean, Joe, Joe Adele has a lot of upside. He's going to be a great player in all likelihood. But the steals aren't, the, the same guarantee that they are for Robert, I think, and certainly not the timetable. I mean, mm, I disagree on timetable, but I agree on the stolen bases. Cause if you guys remember a uh, little plug, obviously I interviewed Joe Adele uh, just about a month ago. I asked him that I asked him his priority on stolen bases and he 
wasn't super interested, to be honest with you. He talked more about, <laughs> you know, his first to third type of stuff or, you know, getting to home. It just stolen bases are not a major priority. So I actually agree with you. Stolen bases are something that might not be, they're not comparable, especially from an aggressive standpoint. But I think the Joe Adele timetable could be pushed up much more than people expect, like within weeks. I mean, you don't want to bank on it by doing any crazy investment, but round 12 for Joe Adele, it's not egregious. But I, I can understand why you don't like it. Yeah, I mean, I think he deserves to be drafted in a five outfielder league, but 142nd. I have him 296, so that, that he's right on the fringes of a roster spot in a league for me, a, a league like this for me. I don't know. There, there are a few reaches here. Uh, Brandon... Lau seems like a reach. Yeah. I mean, he had a lot of strikeout issues, and there's some redundancies in that lineup that make playing time an issue. Uh, Karis Davis, given his eligibility limitations, I don't want him 141st overall. I like the closers that went here. I think closers slid a bit by typical roto draft standards, which I'm always in favor of, but it was surprising that. Everybody seemed in favor of it in this particular draft. I and took my first in round, round 12, by the way. I, t- I took Kenley Jansen in the 12th round. He was my first closer, so that was the first time I dipped my toe in. Yeah, Jansen, Hand, Smith, uh, Hendricks, Taylor Rogers. Yeah. I mean, after the first dozen or so, I really don't trust much of anybody to perform con- reliably for saves. So, you know, those guys are depleting pretty fast here. I also like Lance Lynn leading off the round. I think he's he's a guy who people aren't going to put much faith in, but he certainly performed like an ace this past year. Yeah. Um, I'll throw out just a couple others because we'll take a look at our teams here. Some interesting players in their draft rounds. And again, I would just implore you guys, if you want to go check it out, go check out the article. Round 13, Scott took Jesus Lazardo. I thought that was a good deal. Uh, Gavin Lux and uh, Aristides Aquino both went in the 14th round. Herman Marquez, uh, I believe Chris Towers took him in the 15th. I thought that was a really good value. A couple oldies, but still out there. Cueto and McCutcheon went in the 17th. And uh, a couple rookies in the 20th round. I took Forrest Whitley and Nico Horner. We actually had a big run on rookies late in the draft, people taking upside. So I thought those were some interesting draft notes for people. Anybody else that stood out to you rounds 12 to the end, a player or two that deserve note, or any comments on the players that I just talked about? I think... Adam did something really interesting with his outfield. Uh, did not invest highly in it, targeted a lot of upside and a lot of five category potential that, yeah, you know, just a very boomer bust outfield he put together. Uh, Aquino was part of it. I think Aquino in round 14 was good value. I just kept having players I wanted to draft more uh, because his personal opinions became began to influence things more here in the teen rounds that led to more value picks, I feel like, for me, from my perspective. So I didn't get a chance to grab Aquino. But one thing I feel like people are overlooking with Aquino is the steals potential. I mean, the little bit he was up, he uh, went 7 for 7 in steals. Yeah, perfect 7 for 7 in 56 games. So definitely 20-plus steal potential there. Nick Senzel has some steals potential. Kyle Tucker. Uh, and those you know, are his five, he, by he the way. Aquino, job, but he can run. Aquino, Blackman, Dahl, Senzel, Tucker. If people aren't following along, those are the five. Um, yep. Yeah, there, there's definitely interesting upside. It seems really risky in a five. And a five outfielder, like you've got Charlie Blackman, and um, then you're trying to roll sevens, like with the rest of these guys. Like I'm not, I don't particularly like what he did with his infield. 
I love Josh Bell, Albies, Jose Ramirez, Bo Bichette. I absolutely yeah. love that look. But you're not going to be able to do that with the infield unless you take that's a good point. Chances in the outfield. Yeah, so, that's a really good point. Which actually uh, takes us. Let's let's take a look at our teams. Let's take okay. a. Um, let's start with mine. Let's see you pick apart mine here for just a second. Here is my roster. Uh, the two catchers. I only drafted Perez's. I got the injured Salvador Perez very late and Roberto Perez. My infield was Pete Alonso, Cattell Marte, Matt Chapman, and Carlos Correa. Very happy with that. I got Jonathan VR in the middle infield. So lots of stolen bases here. Nate Lowe is my corner infielder. My outfield is Willie uh, Calhoun, Andrew McCutcheon, A.J. Pollock, Juan Soto, and Eddie Rosario. I also took Royce Lewis as a uh, a rookie for you guys to uh, to dream on. My pitching staff was uh, Max Scherzer, Hugh Darvish, Corey Kluber, Robbie Ray, Caleb Smith, Forrest Whitley, and then I took two closers in Kinley Jansen and Craig Kimbrell. So what worked, what didn't work? I think i i think i like your team pretty well actually um your worst starting pitcher is caleb smith probably the one who i assume that was the one you drafted last uh force whitley i think was my last uh you know what no okay. caleb smith might have been my last pick because uh, tim yeah. mcleod did uh irk me taking whitley right in front of him so i think i mean caleb there's definite upside there at times this year i was calling caleb smith a top 25 pitcher so if that's your worst one um you know, there you have some boomer bust types there in your pitching staff, but you have a nice, fairly stable top three, some injury question marks, but Scherzer, Kluber, Darvish. If those guys are stable for you, then you can obviously hope to find other stable options to support them. A good not- a good pitching staff that I can invest as I did on my hitters, because I'm much stronger on hitting, so I had to sacrifice somewhere. So I took some chances and I, I I hit on a couple of the starting pitchers like Darvish and Kluber falling back to me help make this pitching staff good where it could be a relative disaster where I put a main focus on hitting. Yeah. And your infield is good. I think you have a good balance between power and I mean, I guess speed wise, your main contributor is Jonathan VR, but he should be a big contributor. In fact, that you took him in what round five late in round five, that was one of those instances where if, if Patrick Corbin hadn't been there early in round five for me, that, that might've been a case where I reached for my one base dealer, Jonathan VR at that point. Cause we saw him go as early as round two, I think in some of those yeah. two early drafts. So yeah, absolutely right. Um, I think fifth round, it's still higher than I rank him, but it's defensive, more defensible. I feel like, and to solve the steals problem, I think it may be worth it. So I liked that one there. Your outfield, um, Soto, Eddie Rosario, Willie Calhoun, happy with that top three. McCutcheon and Pollock seem pretty boring. I mean, I don't, I don't see a lot of bounce back potential for either one of them, and I think they're serviceable. But I probably would have aimed for upside over them. I'm not sure exactly how late you got. Very them. late, very late. I one thing I did. It sometimes tends to happen in these mocks is. Um, uh, outfield just because it's so deep and I can find them deeper. I tend to wait a little bit longer. I'm higher on Pollock. Everyone hates him. I like the McCutcheon rebound, but you're, yeah, you're not wrong about that. Uh, let's go look at your team. What do we got? Read them off to me. So by rounds or by positions? Uh, just team construction. Positions? Like, yeah, position. Okay, so catcher, I go Carson Kelly, who's a top 10 guy for me, and Love James it. McCann. Uh, Carlos Santana is my first baseman. Second base, Keston Hira. Third base, Rafael Devers. Shortstop, Marcus Simeon. 
My corner infielder is Miguel Sano, hoping he stays healthy and delivers 50 home runs. My middle infielder is Ryan McMahon. My outfield is Trout, Trey Mancini. I think Danny Santana was the third one I drafted. Mark Canna and Brian Reynolds. My DH was your Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, <laughs> he'll do. Who I got in the fourth round, which I thought was a good bargain. Yep. So, um, and then my pitching staff. It goes. Uh, who's my ace? Chris Sale, Patrick Corbin, Lucas Giolito, Jesus Luzardo, Matthew Boyd, Luke Weaver. Yeah. And then a closing trio of Taylor Rogers, Mark Melanson, and. Keone Kella, unless the Pirates get somebody else. So, you know, Weaver at times, I think, looked like a breakthrough pitcher. I mean, we didn't see that much of him, but he looked like a breakthrough pitcher who was verging on ace potential, and that was the last one I drafted. So I feel really good about my pitching. Yeah, I like your pitching a lot, like where, you know, you have a good top end. I actually think our top three are relatively comparable-ish, but you really start to, like, pull away where you've got, you know, Boyd and the upside of Lazardo. I love the Luke Weaver pick. On your offense, you've got a great infield. You've got great values. Made me mad when you took Brian Reynolds. You you pissed me off when you took Brian Reynolds and you took uh, Luke Weaver. Those were two late guys that I wanted. You did a really yep. well-constructed team. You've got your saves late. You've got your good starting pitchers. You've got great value. You just, uh, like you mentioned before, you're just not going to be crazy competitive in stolen bases, and that's going to be your biggest hurt here. But you did a better job constructing batting average than I did, and your pitching mm-hmm. staff is going to carry you a bit more. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't mention Danny Santana earlier. If he is who he just was for the Rangers, then that's three guys that I can hope for 20-plus steals from. So, you know, I should have 70-plus steals. I, I mean, I think that's something to at least work with. You don't need a huge number to, you know, at least get some points in the category. Yeah. So I think I have a chance of doing that, but I would like to have one guy who is a more surefire contributor in that category for sure. But that's really my one regret from that draft. I think I got a ton of power. I think I don't really have any holes anywhere. Safe batting average, but uh, for for batting average, I should be pretty safe. So I feel good about it. Uh, pretty good on the first run, I think. Uh, when is the next mock draft? Are you going to run one in December, maybe to get kind of a little push against November? I guess. Yeah, we'll, yeah. Probably around the winter meetings, maybe right after it, and it'll be head-to-head points since that's the other big format for us. And then come late January, we'll probably be doing two mocks a week, so it'll. There will be no shortage of them once the new year comes. That's right. We'll strap in. Good stuff. Very, very early look for you guys that just can't get enough of it for this mock draft. You can go check out the article to accompany the part one and part two podcast series we just did here for this CBS mock draft. You can find Scott on Twitter at CBS Scott White. You can find myself on Twitter at Is It The Welsh. Hit us up with any of those questions. You can also email Fantasy Baseball at CBSI for any early baseball questions you got. We will be back with you again, so don't you go anywhere because CBS Fantasy Baseball today has got you covered. For Scott White, I'm Chris Welsh. You guys have a good one. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or 
I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.